This week on Big Me Out. Matt Gabb is my name, so I say it's a thing. As a street I rule in Detroit. But I say it's untrue, and you'd be a fool to disagree with my point. I learned the flipping game, my eighth fool blame. A cat I knew in the hood, from the Murphy to the feet. I learned it with ease, I took all that I could. Times were tough. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Not dig you out, dig me out. <laughs> I noticed you put the, emph- the emphasis on the end. Yeah. I like, ch- I like to change the emphasis every once in a while. Gives me some something to think about ahead of time. Uh, Where am I going to place you're, that? You're you're doing emphasis on the correct syllable. Correct. Yes. Correct. When you do that, reads uh, almost 500 times. I mean, you got to shake it up here and there. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we are so close to episode 500. It's it's what within we, distance. Do, it's in within less than a month. What are we going to do? Nice. We're taking the day off. There you go. (laughs) We're going to miss our first week. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I scheduled us both on vacation that week, so uh, Coy and Vance will be here. to. uh, uh, No, I I don't know. I don't have anything scheduled, actually. I think we're just going to show up and just talk about our feelings. Jim and Tom? Yeah. (laughs) Jim and Tom. (laughs) And uh, so that'll be interesting. No idea what we're going to do for that one. We'll rank. You know what we're going to do? We're going to rank every episode from one to four ninety nine. Oh, wow. All right. That would be a that would be something to listen to. And actually, we to? technically, we have gone <laughs> over five hundred if you if you count the 80s episodes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes, because we've done almost a dozen of those. But I'm going to go into our discord right now and ask people what we should do okay yeah please do jay's oh, mentioning our discord I need to join that discord yes you do yes oh you're yes. now that you can log into your patreon again yes. go in there and link it up yep i i i'll have to figure out how to how to get my discord on this particular computer <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, you can join discord me out by becoming a patron like our guest did, not maybe two years ago, uh, if I'm doing the right math, maybe more. Yes, yes. Welcome back, yes, Phil I Fleming. Do. Hello. Now, last year, you joined us twice. One was for the one and done bands of the 90s roundtable, where we discussed bands that only put out one record and Yeah, that and was fun. And then also... Your pick was the album Sunday Morning Music by Thornetta Davis. Now, interestingly enough, that record has a connection to the record that you picked this year. So can you share with our audience the record that you picked and the connection to Thornetta Davis' album? All right. No, very happily. Now, this is kind of a prequel pick. Um little flash of inspiration rather than kind of digging out another thing. Yeah, this is kind of a prequel to that Thornetta Davis record. 
um, about three years three years before they uh, the band Big Chief, who Thornetta Davis actually was a featured vocalist on throughout their career, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they they both have Detroit roots and all of that. And uh, Thornetta Davis was featured quite a bit on this particular record. And it's their, I believe it's the second full-length album from Big Chief called Mac Avenue Skull Game. Yes. Is that a good and intro? <laughs> that's a good intro. Now, the interesting thing about uh, Big Chief, they have a they have a, a strange history in, in of their band, but they're also made up of guys who were in bands prior to this band. Do you know the the legacy of these oh, members? Yeah. Um, a little bit. I <clears throat> I didn't really follow them. Like I didn't go backwards and 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 follow their their previous work. Um, gotcha. A lot of the but I do know that a lot of their previous um, their previous bands were definitely more in the hardcore vein. Yes. Um, hardcore and punk vein. Well, especially the singer Barry Barry Hensler. But yeah. yeah, he was in the Necros, which is a kind of a you know well-established underground hardcore band. And then the drummer Mike yeah. Danner was in the Laughing Hyenas. Which again is yes. another well-established hardcore band. I believe they're still around. I think they've gotten back um, together over time. You know, different points. Oh, that's entirely possible. Yeah. And then the other gentleman in the band, um, Phil Durr, guitarist, mm-hmm. was in the Dharma Bums and a band called Motorhome. Uh, Mark Dancy, the other guitarist, was in a band called Born Without a Face, and bassist Matt O'Brien was in a band called McDonald's. So they in the 80s, they had all been in these bands and then came together in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1989 to form Big Chief. And what was interesting... History of the band. Now we're getting into the history of the band. What was interesting yeah. about their formation was before they were even named, because of the connection to the Necros and Laughing Hyenas, they already had labels coming to them saying, we want to sign you. Oh, yeah. And and the majors came before the indies, yep. which was which was even weirder slash you know not not that crazy considering you know nineteen ninety and all that was still an era where the majors just went after club bands and right you know tried to throw them throw all the reverb on and throw them in arenas. But yeah, they, like with with their with their background, and they probably found out that they were doing a, a more <clears throat> accessible <laughs> type of music. Um, that's probably what made the uh, labels come running. So they put out a seven inch to start out with in, in 1989, which included a cover on the B side of Funkadelic's "Super Stupid" to give yes. a little taste of what was to come. And then Bruce Pavitt from Sub Pop. Again, this is you know before Nirvana breaks, before all hell breaks loose with with Sub Pop. C- comes to them and says, "We want to put you on the um, the one of the Sub Pop uh, singles that they used to do, the, the Sub Pop Singles Club." So he gave them some money to record, and they were said, "Sweet!" And they went in and recorded a whole bunch of songs because mm. they were you know these guys were essentially pros at this point in terms of. 
They already made a bunch of records individually with their various bands. So they they got like enough to do multiple singles to send them out to a whole bunch of different, you know, they gave Sub Pop their songs and then they had mm-hmm. these other songs that they used to make other 7 inches with other labels. They ended up making their first record and that came out with um on Sub Pop in 1991 called Face. And then the follow-up is the one that we're going to be talking about, which is Mac Avenue Skull Game original soundtrack. <laughs> yes. Note, there's no actual movie for this to go with. No. No, it's a soundtrack to a fictional movie. A yes, movie that... that does not exist. And that came out on, on Sub Pop as well. Yes. And they put out a lot of singles during this era as well. And mm-hmm. and... 12-inch EPs and, and stuff like that. So then they leave Sub Pop, and Capitol Records signs them, and they put out the album Platinum Jive, Greatest Hits 1969 to 1999 in 1994. Yes. <laughs> and released it as if it was a 30-year greatest hits for a band that had existed for five years. Yeah. So clearly they were taking the, the major label money and having fun with it. Oh yeah, they also had a they, compilation that came out of called "Drive It Off," which came came out in 1991 of, of a bunch of the singles. Yeah, that, that all the early singles that surrounded the Sub Pop uh, Singles Club came out on "Drive It Off." Yeah, and then they broke up in 1996, uh, and sadly uh, have not re- uh, you know recorded any music since then. Although they have worked with, as mentioned, Thornetta Davis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and and Phil Durr actually passed away about a year and a half ago. Oh, okay. So yeah. Well, Dancing um, Durr and Hensler did make uh, they did um, form a band called Thirty Six D. Yep. Uh, after this, so Jay, had you heard of Big Chief? Uh, um, a li- I mean, I'd heard the name, and then I I remember we briefly discussed them in the Thornetta Davis episode, but that's about it. I hadn't heard the music. Gotcha. I think I vaguely knew they were punk oriented, but that's about it. Well, the, gotcha. the funny thing is, is that the, this particular record is their most funk oriented record, um, because the the because I I'd, I'd actually toyed with the idea of going with Platinum Jive, um, but that's that's definitely more leaning in a commercial heavy metal direction. Huh. Um, and, uh, and the, and the album face before it was also kind of a heavy metal record with, with some funk thrown in. Yeah. This is their only from, from what I read, their only full on <clears throat> like we're Overt taking funk we're, record. Yes. Uh, which, you know, if you think about back to 19, um, 1993 that's not uh, unheard of because the beastie boys both on check your head and ill communication were laying down some funk they were doing it with oh, yeah. with rap well and the red hot chili pepper sold a couple records during exactly that and the red hot chili pepper <laughs> so there was definitely a now we'll get into the actual details of this record um, but I want to mention some comments over at Patreon where we did have votes on this record, and we'll get to those. But Eric Peterson said, Big Chief were kind of a big deal to a few of us here in Ann Arbor as they were the th- 
They were the local the. band that was on Sub Pop and then Capital. Their funk sound was strange for a lot of us looking for a more grunge sound, which is what is on their early albums and Seven Inches. Mac Avenue Skull Game is a solid alt-funk concept record that was riffing on 70s black exploitation. It was ahead of its time, and the band, I think, were sunk by the changes in the industry, changes at labels, and the arrival of prepackaged pop bands that were being pushed starting in the mid-90s. Richard Waterman said, this is a strange one. In parts, it reminded me of Hendrix, Santana, Average White Band, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Parliament, Funkadelic, Fun Loving Criminals. Like Eric said, the first two albums, I think he means the compilation and then the, yeah. uh, then the album, were yeah. much grungier and dirge-like in sound. They really went for it on this album. I have decided on an EP because it's quite disjointed with the amount of interludes and segues. I found that to upset the flow of the album because there was no coherent theme. I could easily make this a 12-song album with a few segues. Then I revisit the actual songs and did not think they were strong enough to warrant the Dig Me Out Worthy album tag. So decided on EP. Favorite song, No Free Love on the Street. Is that, uh, is that the Bad Motor, fi- logo, Bad Motor Finger logo with dogs? So interesting note, the, the bass player, I believe it's the bass player, did all the artwork Mark, for Big Chief. Mark Dancy, yep. And he did the cover for for bad motor finger oh there you go so there you go good call but good good uh eye there richard patrick testa i bet big chief were a hoot live cincinnati had shag <laughs> in the 90s who were a bombastic live funk band albeit sans the punk that wants to pop out of big chief i appreciate this music they playfully go for authentic authenticity without pushing too hard on the already fuzzy boundaries of the mythological world created by funkadelic but it doesn't sound like an album, more like five or six songs with a sampling of short jams that are here to give us a preview of how they plan to funk our faces live in concert. <laughs> I will add many of these tracks to my shuffle playstations. They will work very well. So that's our input over at our Patreon page, which we uh, love to get the discussions going there and at our Discord. Cord, uh channel or ch- is it channel well, or channels because we have multiple different things going on there jay yeah but it's a server the server has channels gotcha thank you ah. for that clarification <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm slowly picking it up it takes me a little while what, well i i gotta i gotta thank the the three people who have voted and i'm assuming they're the same ones that responded which is a lot better than the Thornetta Davis one, <laughs> but um, I mean they're they're not wrong in their assessments, though. I, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more as we go on, but it, I, I mean, Richard Waterman is, yeah, I, I mean, not sure, not sure if he's to, he's very on the nose, but um. I mean, Patrick's assessment is a little more on the nose. All right. Well, we'll get into that. But yeah. Let's talk about the record. <laughs> All right. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Mac Avenue Skull Game by Big Chief. Yeah, I did like the way that they brought funk and I think uh, heavy rock together in a way that when you say those words, you automatically kind of probably hear something in your head <laughs> that oftentimes is not great. Um, 
but I think they put it together in a very genuine, authentic way. I think um, they're helped a lot by the bass playing and parts, which I think are really well done. Um, the tones are right. The parts are right. It tends to be more of a, a slower groove kind of feel rather than a busy, slappy kind of funk bass, uh, which I think helps uh, quite a bit. So you get this more of a thicker kind of uh, grittier groove um, underneath the songs. And on top, they can have everything from saxophone to a soul singer to all kinds of percussion. And, you know, you get some of the stereotypical, I guess, wah-wah guitar um, here and there. But there's also uh, some parts where the guitar is playing more like a Almost like you would play a clavinet against the bass. You know, it's kind of like intertwining with it. And again, you get these like thicker kind of interesting grooves um, that to me sound more um, original and just uh, it's more, I guess, bottom heavy, which I like. Um, Drums are, you know, kind of fit in there and don't get too busy either. That's another one of the trappings of, I think, when you say funk and rock or funk and metal. Um, you'll end up with a kind of a busy, annoying drummer. Um, <laughs> and the drummer here is like just in the pocket and not more of a John Bonham style. There's actually a couple parts like that sound very Bonham-esque, even from a like production standpoint, like kind of that slap reverb sound um, to the way he plays. So I think the foundation of this, you know, just puts it in a place that's distinct uh in a subgenre that it's difficult to be distinct in which i appreciated um it's definitely cinematic i think that's the other thing that i'll mention that's um i think kept me interested in the record is it does play like a soundtrack you know there's most different scenes and characters um interludes lots of transitions um it definitely feels like you're you know you're listening to a movie i guess um I caught on that, you know, this was either a concept record and or a soundtrack without even because the uh, term soundtrack is not in the Apple music title. Um, it is on the uh, album cover. Yeah. Um, so even without seeing that, you know, it's pretty obvious that that's um, an element of play here, which I think helps hold this together into, you know, a cohesive statement. Um, I think without that, um it probably doesn't hold together as well. So like some of the interludes and, and, and uh, even musical shifts make sense when you are perceiving it from this, from the soundtrack or concept album kind of frame. So yeah, that's some of the stuff I liked about it.
I agree with you on the the necessary use of distortion and and getting that really thick low end on the bass and having the drums be a little bit more on the the rock end than on the sort of jazzy what can be what can be on the jazzy dancey oh, end yeah. of, of funk. <clears throat> you know, this is definitely more in the Detroit end of it with with Parliament and Funkadelic because there are other there's other funk from the seventies like slave or confunction which can start to turn a little bit into more of a dancier sound mm-hmm. and get a little more you know they start getting that four on the floor disco kind of feel yeah at some it would it, it it would like it would almost go into full on disco usually right. yeah and this definitely stays the course as far as not only in terms of of you know the the, the obvious parliament funkadelic homage but also in really nailing those soundtracks to those black exploitation movies mm-hmm. which i haven't seen you know a ton of them i've seen enough to know what the music sounded like and just there you know jay you mentioned about like the wawa guitar i mean it's a cliche but it's also like it's <laughs> necessary if you're going to do it you've got to have the the the, the wawa and the clavinet and the and at some point there's got to be a really big hammond b3 organ that comes in and you got to have a cowbell at some point like these are just like the staples <laughs> of the genre you know, it'd be like true. playing punk music and not doing the do 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 that kind of drum beat. Like at some point, you have to use that. It's expected, or else you, it's going to just sound like you're missing something. Um, so it was fun to hear all that because they clearly are showing a love of the genre and showing a love of of that style of music that is not necessarily easy to pull off. You know, to play that style takes a finesse and to and write a whole album is not easy i mean there are there's some there's some songs on here that can stand up with like any funk record like you know was mentioned no free love on the street and oh yeah uh, one born every minute i mean there's some really really solid songs on this record and ha- the the presence of Thornetta Davis cannot be like overlooked. Like she really lends so much with her voice that elevates over what Barry Hensler is doing. Like his is fine. It's kind of a character. It actually reminded me in parts of, <laughs> of the guy from life, sex and death. Like that, like <laughs> that, like character of, of that, like, but a little in, bit, it, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's just this character. Like, clearly, he's inhabiting a character. Now, I don't know if if he sings on the other records like that. Then, uh, uh, you know, kudos to him. But like, well, then, my well, name is his, Pimp. His, his vocals. Um, I mean, his his style. It, it, my name is Pimp is kind of a kind of an indication on how he sings on the other records. Um, kind of high pitched, a little nasal, but yeah, for, for this, uh, for this particular one, yeah, it's, it, 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 he's definitely, 
in a character of sorts. Right. Um, he's he probably he's probably trying to encompass as many black exploitation tropes <laughs> in the in in the in the lyrical content and all that stuff, especially in a in a song like "My Name Is Pimp." Yeah, in, uh, if I had a nickel for every dime. His style is is high pitched like that, yeah. So, what works best for you on this album, Phil? It's a bass player's record. I mean, top to bottom, bass player's record. It's all groove, all groove. And um, for some reason, just the the overall concept makes makes it a little more forgivable that there aren't a, as many fleshed out songs. Because I think there's only like maybe seven fleshed out actual songs on this record. Um, two, three, four. Yeah, like there's like seven songs and then ten interludes that kind of act as the score in between. The only thing that would make this even better if there were if there was like presented like fake dialogue from the fake movie or something. Um, I mean, especially with the song titles. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, I, that could have been, that would yeah. have been interesting to see <laughs> if they had gotten actors if they, or if, if they would have done it or just, yeah. Manufactured dialogue to, for, for things like meet the man day or Gaty lounge punk. <laughs> But um, if I recall correctly, One Born Every Minute was a single, and uh, No Free Love on the Street was a single, too. Um, well, that makes and those sense. Are, yeah. Those are the most single-worthy songs on the record. <laughs>
I mean, I think that, like you said, all the fleshed out songs, like Ten Carat Pinky Ring mm-hmm. and um, Oh Woman, Max Lament. Like, oh, yeah, that that one's just, just funny top to bottom. <laughs> but it works on the concept of, you know, if this was like a, a, a 10 or 11 song album of just, you know, full tracks. Yeah. Totally works within that concept. Oh, absolutely. Now, in, ter- in terms <clears throat> of stuff that, that didn't work, when you get to, like, He Needs to Be Dead, 10 Easy Pieces, The Power of Ginzu. Yeah. Like, I understand what that they're capable of that, but man, like, that is an odd detour on this record. Like, <laughs> and I know it's because, you know, that's sort of their background. But mm. um, I just, that was really, and I, some of the interludes are less interesting well, than, the, the, than others. The, the, the interludes almost sound like rehearsal tapes, which, yeah. which, which, is, which is kind of interesting, a fly on the wall kind of way. Um, I mean, because they were they were clearly talented and tight enough to pull off these kind of things, and just the just the sound and how they were recorded or 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 mixed rather, just sounds like it was a rehearsal tape, and I think that was kind of cool. Yeah, they um, um, I noticed throughout the record they they're either different recordings or they're playing with the reverb throughout the recording to make it sound like different. It's so entirely possible. Fade up, like they'll mm. fade up sounding like there's a band playing, you know, a theater down the block. Yeah. Or the background of the bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, even the last track has like live audience at the end, which I'm like, Oh yeah. It's almost, um, not, it's not clear if it was live or if they made it sound live but they definitely play throughout the record which i thought was i'm not sure if it was i don't know it was an interesting decision uh either Mm. to record it differently or what i'm i'm suspecting is that it was all recorded in the studio and they're playing with different reverbs to make them sound like different spaces for something like that yeah i think it's intentional i definitely think that they were messing around to create a disjointed sound and i i I don't know if they were like practice jams, but like, you know, Soul on a Roll is a good example of it, it sounds like a completed idea and mm. they just didn't take it anywhere else. Like they just locked into this one little jam for 50 seconds and it's it's a solid little jam. Doesn't go anywhere. And so it makes a good little <laughs> interlude. Well, they, they, they see also Gaiety Lounge Punk. Yeah. Um I mean that's only that's only forty seconds, and then suddenly you have like a, a ninety second hardcore song immediately <laughs> following it. So right, that's another one where I'm like, uh. I mean, I, for some reason when when I first got this, I didn't get it at the time of release. I don't remember what prompted me to buy this record, but I remember reading up on it. And they basically said, oh, it's a soundtrack to a movie that doesn't exist. All right. So that's kind of how I listened to it. Mm-hmm. 
And like all these interludes and, and things like that are part of the quote score mm-hmm. of, the, of the whole thing. And I'm just picturing at that point in the record conceptually th- that that particular song like Cop Kisser is just a manic scene in this fictional movie. Something like that. I, th- I thought way too much on this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the same thing with Cut to the Chase. Like, I, as I'm listening to the record, I was like, oh, wow, this sounds like a stereotypical, like, I feel like I'm watching Chips. And then I was like, <laughs> well, it is called Cut to the Chase. Like, yeah. this is probably the chase scene in the movie. Right. So I guess this is what it should sound like. I mean, yeah. So I'm with you. Like, there was there were some moments on the record where I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I can rationalize this based on the concept. Yeah. It only works if you know the concept. Yeah. I, I mean, the, and that's why I was talking about like the 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 assessments on the Patreon page. I mean, they're not wrong. Let's just put it that way. I'm, I would never argue with what they said, what they had. Sorry, what they did said. But uh, I mean, yeah, it doesn't sound like an album more like five or six songs with a sampling of short jams. If you don't know the concept, that's that's what you would think it would be. Yep. Jay, is there stuff that doesn't work for you or songs? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with the record. Um, I would say the first half uh, works pretty well. You know, to me, that's where the better material is from a songwriting standpoint. Um, I think 10 Carat Pinky Ring is starts to be the cutoff to me. The second half feels it's missing like a killer song or two to hold me through all of the interludes and then the weird... I mean, you, you've got the, the punk song in there, you know, you've got <laughs> Jay's song, like all the weird songs seem to be backloaded. So, you know, I, I find it interesting for the whole record as a concept, but I think from a, just a songwriting quality standpoint, the best stuff is, you know, one through eight. <laughs> it's mostly, I think, just a songwriting. Oh, yeah. No, I, 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 I agree I, with you I, there. It's heavily front-loaded. Like an album. I can agree with you with that. Yeah. I mean, because I'm I'm looking at the track list right now and like the the number of like full fledged songs as opposed to, you know, background music or interludes or score, quote unquote. There's only two songs on this on the second half of the record. Um, If I Mm have nickel and a woman. I mean, and, you and might... neither of those feature Thornetta Davis. Right. I was just going to say that. <laughs> no, neither one. Neither one do. Um, they need a little bit more Thornetta on the second half. <laughs> they should have had her sing a ballad at the at the end of it. Well, it's funny. It's actually funny because um, there was an EP released not long after, and I believe it only came out in Germany of of Thornetta focused material based on this and it had no free love on the street and uh, i believe there was a there was a track that was not included on this record called sonica's last stand 
and it oh. was a moody piece. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was in on an import that I somehow scored. I I have no idea where it is right now, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, it it was basically a compilation of of uh, Thornetta focused material on Big Chief records. This is before she made Sunday morning music and things like that. Yeah. It okay, yeah, I found that. Yeah. It's called Shout Out. Yes. Thornetta Davis with the Big Chief Band. Yes. <laughs> Which it looks makes like they, no sense. But they <laughs> cover um is Funky Dollar Bill a cover of Yeah. Yeah, uh Things Have Got to Get Better is a is a uh is a cover too. Yeah, James but, Brown. And okay. uh yeah, Sonica's last stand is a is a is like like I'm I'm assuming in the concept of things her death scene. <laughs> Interesting. Um, that's well, how now I, I gotta find it. that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, shout out to shout out to the Dust Huffer is not part of the concept. At least that I didn't. It didn't seem like it. It it, it was an it's an interesting companion to Mac Avenue Skull Game. Okay. Yeah. Do you think any of those songs should have been on those records? Um, I would. I would think that Sonica's Last Stand would have totally fit in in that concept. Probably right before Oh Woman. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted that song um, to be better. So I would have taken a replacement. Like I was looking for like a good ender, you know. Kind of wrap the concept up and yeah well it it, it would have made a good good kind of like downbeat finale but yeah you needed your purple rain um, your big closer maybe, your big I don't know. epic closer yeah, yeah. yeah. your end credits closer <laughs> your end credits closer <laughs> now you see oh woman would have been would have been a hysterical end credits closer I mean, the whole thing is a piss take on on the whole pimp concept. So now they also put out around this time, um, and there was an EP in '93 that came out in Europe called "Big Chief Brand Product." It includes "Cop Kisser" uh, and then some other songs that I don't are not listed on the record. "Dirty Double Bottom." Remix, Wasted on BC Remix, Lot Lizard, Fresh Vines, Midnight Vines Remix. So I don't know if those are from other yeah, albums a, or, um, Wasted or singles. On BC, what, Wasted on BC was a bonus track on Face. Fresh okay. Vines is a Face album track. It's actually, gotcha. I think, the first song on Face. And it was it, that particular... Uh, EP was probably done for the international market. Yeah, Lot Lizard was on a single. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Midnight Vines is basically Fresh Vines remixed. So let's talk uh, about yeah. when this came out. They they did, you know, they had a a single for One Born Every Minute and had a video. Got played on MTV. I'm sure it was not. Once. Uh, <laughs> it got played once? Most likely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm thinking like did this get played i'm guessing like 120 minutes or something like that like yeah, i don't know yeah yes I, I don't, yes I, our not our 90s bible 120 minutes um 
But 93, this is hard sell because, A, it's a fake movie soundtrack. Yep. It's Chili Peppers, and we mentioned Chili Peppers and the Beastie Boys. They're a little more tied in, I guess, with what's going on, whereas this is a callback to 70s funk. Oh, yeah. This is too, uh, <laughs> it's, it's too close. Yeah. It's too real. Too retro minded. Yeah. Yeah. Authentic. <laughs> well, they're, they're just, no, they're very indebted to that sound and it's, and having Thornetta Davis be the singer as well is just mm. like putting it over the top. I mean, it's great, but I can't imagine that the people at MTV were probably like scratching their heads. Like, what are we supposed to do with this video or, or radio well, stations as well? It's not about the, you know, I mean this record, yes, there are some good vocals by her on a couple tracks, but there's long spans of this record where there's no vocals at all. And right. Right. And I, I can, I can see why people, I can see why people would have, would have been a little turned off by this because because the non-vocal tracks outnumber the vocal tracks like two to one. Yep. Just about. So, yeah. I mean, in one of them, the vocals are virtually, virtually indecipherable and that's Cop Kisser. Um, <laughs> and I, I think, you know, again, with the, if you're going for the black exploitation theme, I don't know oh, yeah. if those songs had a lot of vocals in them either. So it's kind of like, you know, it's more about the groove and the, oh, the yeah. music. Absolutely. And the vocals are just like a <laughs> secondary part, you know. Um, well, the, a, lot of the, a lot of the funk records just in general, like the popular funk records had long passages with no vocals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, album sides that are, yeah, have three songs, but it's a it, an 18 minute suite and there's, you know, three minutes where you're not hearing a, a vocal track. Yep. So, I mean, they didn't make out a, they didn't set out to make a funk record. They made it, they set out to make a black exploitation soundtrack. Yeah. Like this was, this is their version of shaft. Right. Yes. And where shaft veered definitely more towards the R and B and disco side this particular record had veered more on the indie rock side with the with the guitar solos and and the waz and all of that yeah so (laughs) where do we land on this record i will give the results from our patreon poll in a moment but jay if you're rating this we're the album Better EP or decent single? Where are you at? I'm at an EP. I, I'm literally going to take the first eight tracks. <laughs> That's my EP. I'm good. <laughs> All right. I, I think the concept comes across on those tracks. I think it's the best sound. I think uh, from a songwriting standpoint, it's the best vocally. Yeah. Yeah. One through eight. I, I'm with you at an EP, but I think I'm, <laughs> I'm. What I'm probably doing is the, um, the full length songs over the the interludes, and I would probably maybe include like two or three of the interludes. But I would be taking tracks two, four, six, um, eight, and fifteen. 
17, so that gives me, what, 6? And then I'd also add in um, a couple interludes, like track 7 and maybe 13. That'd be it. So I'd be at about 8 songs as well. I mean, it's an 18-song record, so it's almost yeah. half. But I just I think that some of the interludes are just... They don't stand up and playing around with like you said, Jay, with the with the echo and the and the reverb really was strange only because I wonder how if if you're thinking of it in terms of a soundtrack, why would it be like that? Like, is it because it's in a has to do with something in the scene or I I guess I'd, I'd love to hear like the thought process behind why things were mixed the way that they were, because it appears it was all recorded at the same studio. So it wasn't like they were bouncing around to different studios. Yeah, I mean, you get a little bit of a sense of like you're moving between rooms and sets and stuff uh, by Mm -hmm. doing that. It just needed something else. I don't know if it's dialogue or some other scene setting for that to work. It also just happens maybe too much. Like that here and there is okay, but you start to, by the time you get to the end of the record, it it seems like every track is doing that. Um, So, (laughs) yeah. Phil, where do you land? Well, since it's my pick, <laughs> I am considering it a worthy album. However, I can completely agree with the assessments that that you and the uh, the Patreon comments have suggested. But I was listening to it from the get go as a soundtrack that that would include that kind of set the mood the, fr- throughout the entire thing. And I per- my personal favorite song after No Free Love on the Street is If I Had a Nickel for Every Dime. Yeah, it goes on a little long, but I think that I think that was a kind of a great song. And believe it or not, Thornetta Davis is on that song on as a background vocal. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I honestly think it's a worthy album if you're listening to it as a kind of a concept record. But as a as a rock record, yeah, I would I would understand people calling it a better EP. And that's where the voting ended up over at Patreon. Sixty seven percent, thirty three percent were the or album. The album. <laughs> I wonder which one gave the word of the album. <laughs> I'm going to go. Well, what we learned is people who comment don't always vote. True. So while true. there were three comments, not all of them may have voted. That is true. Some people like to complain about voting, but then not actually <laughs> vote. Huh. <laughs> I get, Otherwise known I as tell the, you, every time the entire United States of America. Yeah. <laughs> every time I complained, I voted. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, no. It, 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 you guys aren't wrong. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, we thank you for bringing... I love that you introduced this basically at the end of last year's episode as a possibility and then followed up with it. Even, yeah, I mean, it I came did, up, I but... Figured, I figured yeah. have, a, have a prequel. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't have that much... You don't have that many on, on this particular podcast. So... And I, and I have to say that the... Uh, the name didn't mean a whole lot when I started reviewing the record. It's like, okay, this is the next record. And then I heard Thornetta Davis saying, I was like, wait a minute, that sounds like Thornetta Davis. But like, 
then it all came together. I was like, oh yeah, she was in this band and we talked about that. And so that was kind yep. of fun that it, uh, and, and for that, and for that, I say, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but I do mean that the whole idea behind big chief and in its relation to Thornetta Davis just made it even more obvious with the Thornetta Davis. Yes. Thornetta Davis record. And kind of backtracking, you could see where she was she was kind of placed and it like took baby steps up front and and to the point where Sunday morning music just had her up front backed by these other guys that are clearly insanely talented in order to pull it all off. Yep. So very cool. <sighs> well, thank you for bringing to this. We now know much better than we did before. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. I, I try. Hopefully people will give it a, <laughs> give it a listen. It's, you know, it's streaming in pl- all the normal places and you can check it out. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's still streaming and all of that. Yeah. There is a hip hop artist named big chief. So you're going to yes. a little digging, but the, the album is out there as always. Yeah, look, look up max Mac Avenue skull game that I don't think there's another record called that. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a faster way to get there. Yeah, and then when you see the album come up with Bad Motor Finger, click on it. There. You go. <laughs> well, that's that's true too. Um, I want to remind people you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com to suggest an album for one of our future polls, which you can vote on by joining us at Patreon. Is uh, for as little as two bucks a month. You get a sticker you, in you, different levels. You get different things. And, of course, you can comment and you can join our Discord channel and and also sign up for our Box newsletter, which gets you reviews. You can also get those reviews at Patreon that we do each week. We keep the calendar updated on new releases, stuff dropping every week, new re- releases popping up all the time, both both uh, books, <laughs> movies, and music. It's three things, not a both. And uh, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. So, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. (laughs) 